continuing to make our way through the Gospel of John. And so today we come to chapter 16. Just to bring you up to speed, we are... We are looking at, uh, at Jesus' last night, his last conversation he has with his disciples, about five hours or so that they spend together uh, eating a meal together, and then Jesus begins preparing them. He knows where he's going. He knows that he is leaving. Uh, he knows that he's about to be arrested and executed and that they uh, will not see him again, at least in this form, and so... He is preparing them uh, for life, in one sense, life without Jesus. But in another sense, he's preparing them for true life with Jesus. He's he's not going to be physically present uh, in bodily form next to them, and so he's preparing them for that by telling them what life is going to be like on the other side of the cross and on the other side of the empty tomb That's really what he starts doing in chapter 15 when he talks about uh, abiding in the vine. What what happens when you belong to, when you're connected to Jesus, Jesus says in, in chapter 15, as you abide in me and my words abide in you, so you will bear much fruit. So when you're connected to me, Uh, and remain in me, you will bear fruit. You'll begin to look and talk and act like Jesus. But there's another part of that, and that's what we looked at last week, that part of maybe we're deluded a little bit. We think that, all right, I'm going to bear Jesus' fruit. I'm going to act like Jesus. I'm going to talk like Jesus. And so when I walk into the public square, when I walk into work, or when I talk to my friends and I look more and more like Jesus, They're going to love me. It's going to be great. And Jesus goes on to say in chapter 15, no, actually, they're going to hate you. Because if the world hated me, and remember I told you that a servant is not greater than his master, and so if the world hated me, they will most certainly hate you. And so that's really the second aspect of what it means to be connected to Jesus Yes, we'll bear fruit as we abide in his love, but it also means that we are more and more distanced from the world. In fact, as Jesus says, I have chosen you out of the world. I've pulled you out of that, and for that reason, the world hates you. And Jesus tells us that because as the saying goes, right, forewarned is forearmed. Jesus wants his followers to not be surprised when opposition comes because Again, it's counterintuitive. We think, well, if, if I'm doing things right, uh, then no harm will come to me. Um, something interesting happens in the book of Acts. Uh, the events that take place after this, uh, after the Holy Spirit is poured out in Acts 2, the disciples in the church, they're growing and they're talking about Jesus. And so the religious, the religious authorities gather up all of the apostles and they, they hammer them. They yell at them, they beat them, and then they set them loose. And it says in Acts chapter 5 that those first apostles rejoiced. They rejoiced that they had been treated that way. These, you know, you want to be like, do you need medical attention? You rejoiced at that? And it says they rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. And it doesn't mean that they, were, that they had somehow earned 
that name, but what it means is that they, they realized, they remembered what Jesus had just told them uh, in John 15, and they, they realized we got persecuted, we got hated, we're, we're doing the right thing, we're on the right track. Stephen, uh, another Christ follower in Acts chapter 7, is preaching, and as he's preaching, he's preaching about Jesus, and it makes a lot of people angry. Um, he tells them that their religion has brought them up short and that they need to, to fall on their faces and repent and trust in Jesus. And they don't like that very much. They, uh, it says they actually stop their ears and they rush at him. And they drag him out of town and they stone him. Um, can, can you imagine, have you ever been hit with a rock? Can you, be, can you imagine being hit with hundreds, maybe, maybe more? And it says that, that Stephen is able to look up to heaven and see the Lord Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, reigning, reigning as it were, over, Jesus, uh, over Stephen's execution. And he's, out, he's able to say with his dying breath, God, forgive them. Don't hold this against them. Stephen is able to say that because he remembers the Lord's promise that if they hated me, they will hate you. And so he's able to not hold on to bitterness and not hold on to hatred, but actually forgive. And so what it means to be connected to Jesus is that you will experience opposition from those who don't know Jesus. And that's really what it comes down to, Jesus says. They will do these things to you because they have not known the Father nor me. So it's a knowledge question. They don't know me, and that's why they're acting this way. And so in light of that, then there come, we come to a third set of promises, and that's where we're going to pick up here in verse 4, John 16, verse 4. I have said these things to you, so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father is, has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray. Our gracious God, could we say even that chief among the blessings... The blessings that flow from you is the blessing of your word. That you have not left us to grope about in the darkness. You have not left us with no help. You have, you have not abandoned us. 
no voice. God, you speak still. You speak in your word. And though the grass fades and the flower falls, your word will stand forever. And so, God, we pray that you would come now and that you would guide us into all the truth, the truth that has been recorded by the hand of the apostles and the power of the Spirit, that you would guide us into the truth about Jesus, that we would hear his voice and that we would be saved. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, stepping back just a few uh, chapters, chapter 14, 16, Jesus had already made this promise. He says, I will ask the Helper, and he, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Chapter 15, verse 26, in the midst of this opposition, Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Confusion certainly abounds where the Holy Spirit is concerned, uh, particularly who he is and what he does. Uh, It's not for lack of talking about the Holy Spirit, especially uh, within the past century uh, in the rise of what we would call Pentecostalism. Um, There's a lot of talk about the Holy Spirit, uh, but there still seems to be a lot of confusion. Uh, And part of that is maybe it's in the title, maybe it's in his name, right? The word spirit is a very mysterious sounding word. Uh, We don't really know what to do with that, whereas The words father and son, we have a frame of reference for that. We're pretty clear on what a father does and what a son does. And so those are terms that speak to us, whereas spirit, in our modern age especially, we're kind of clueless. Uh, And then the other is this, that the Holy Spirit is really at work in the background. Maybe that's not a good way to say it, but um, Jesus was present in bodily form. His disciples could see him, touch with him, uh, touch him, eat with him, right? That they're that he was there in their presence. Uh, the Holy Spirit, what you see of him is, is just his work, uh, just what he does. He doesn't manifest himself in visible form. And so we're confused about who he is and about what he does. But Jesus, thankfully, isn't confused, and he tells us exactly what the role of the Spirit is. Um, and I just realized I probably didn't put a sermon outline in there, so I apologize Uh, You're left to just fend for yourselves. Uh, Here's what the role of the Spirit is. See, you have to listen very closely, right? Jesus sends the Spirit to bear witness to the truth. That's why the Spirit is sent, to bear witness to the truth, to bring out the truth, to continue to proclaim the truth, the truth to the world and for the church. Jesus sends the Spirit to bear witness to the truth in the world and for the church. And the first point that you cannot see, uh, the Spirit is a help in the midst of hatred. 
right? Jesus uses that title, helper, over and over again. And that word helper, we said already, means to come alongside. Jesus says, if I don't go, then the helper won't come. You won't have somebody to walk with you in the midst of opposition. I need to go away. Uh, Jesus is delivering, has just delivered more shocking news. This has been a pretty emotionally tumultuous night for the disciples. They've already heard their master say he's leaving. They've heard some pretty terrifying things about themselves. One of them is betraying him. Another one is uh, rejecting him. Um, Now Jesus says, you can expect opposition. You can expect the world to hate you. So you can imagine they're probably reeling. They're grasping. They, they're, they're struggling. And Jesus, uh, and Jesus says, I didn't tell these things to you uh, from the beginning because I was with you. Think of, uh, think of the times when you spared your children. Uh, what you know they will meet later on, but they are not able to bear it at the, at the beginning. Imagine... Uh, maybe humorously, it is humorous. It would be very humorous if this happened to you. If a friend uh, that had a new baby and you and you went into the hospital to visit uh, this this family and uh, they've just had a baby boy and you walk into the hospital room and mama is there cradling uh, their new son while the dad has got a whiteboard out and he's charting the course of his life. He's telling, okay, now in elementary school, right, these things are going to happen to you. Uh, you're probably going to meet some bullies. You're going to watch out for that. But hopefully you're going to learn your ABCs, your colors, your shapes, right? Mathematics, simple mathematics. And then you're going to move on up to middle and high school. And here's what's going to happen there. Listen, you want to start getting ready. You probably want to hold a job down at some point, build your credit up. And then later on, here's the investment strategy I think would be wise. For you. Right. If you walked in and saw that happening, you would think, this guy is unhinged. Why is he divulging all this information? I mean, yeah, does the son need to know it? Sure, but there's a time to bear that information, um, to bear that counsel, uh, and there's a time to not, right? Jesus is, Jesus is tender. Uh, Jesus, and, and, and he realizes, and we need to realize, that our growth is progressive. He doesn't unload everything on the disciples when he first meets them by the Sea of Galilee. He knows what's coming. He knows what they will have to endure. Uh, but he has taken his time and now begins to unfold these things to them. And so he once again reminds them that he's going back to the Father, um, and he reminds them that they, have a, that they have a pretty poor perspective, right? He says, none of you ask me where I'm going. Um, that looks like a contradiction because Thomas asked that very thing just a couple chapters before, Lord, where are you going that we won't be able to see you? And we need to realize that that's not a contradiction what Jesus is saying, the reason Thomas asked, was he, Thomas didn't ask saying, hey, Lord, Jesus, tell me all about where you're going and what you're going to be doing there. Would you kind of unfold all that for me just so I have a better understanding? No, what Thomas was saying is, why are you leaving? Don't leave me. Don't go away. So he wasn't asking really, he wasn't really so much asking Jesus, where are you going as, please don't leave. And so Jesus says, your perspective, right, your hearts are filled with sorrow because you're looking in the wrong direction. But don't let your hearts be filled with sorrow because it's actually to your advantage that I go away. Does that sound a little bit crazy to you? Jesus says, it's actually better for you if I leave. I mean, just last week we sang a song that said, we said, I I would rather have Jesus than anything. 
So how is it better that Jesus leaves? Why is it better to not have Jesus? How can this be a good thing? Uh, maybe many of you, if you've been around the church for a while, uh, have thought, oh, if I had just been there, if I could have just walked with him, if I could have just heard his voice and seen his miracles, oh, it, my life would be so different. It would be so much better. Uh, and so maybe that comes as a shock to you that Jesus says, actually, it's better when I'm not here. What does he mean by that? What could be better than having Jesus with you? Jesus says, having my spirit in you. It's better that I leave because if I don't leave, the helper won't come. Jesus sends the helper after he has returned to the one who sent him. Jesus says, if, you, if I don't go, you won't have one to walk with you in opposition. You won't have one to help you bear witness. In a sense, Jesus has shielded them. But that is not to be their life forever. Jesus is to go away, and they are to face the brunt of the world's opposition. And Jesus says, when you face that, you will need help. And I must go so I can send him to you. Why? Why don't you think about this? The Holy Spirit's work is dependent on Jesus' work. Right? That's what Jesus says. Uh, he, he proclaims Jesus. He proclaims what Jesus has done. So if Jesus doesn't go, and remember that going away for Jesus means going to the cross. It means the empty tomb. It means ascending back to heaven, right? It means, uh, so for the cross, Jesus must pay for sin. Uh, for the empty tomb, Jesus must defeat death. And for ascending back to heaven, Jesus must reign supreme, right? Ascending to heaven, he, he takes the crown back. Those three things must happen in order for the Holy Spirit to be any, of the, any value to the disciples. Jesus must finish his work so the Holy Spirit can do his. And so Jesus must go away. That is how the Spirit helps. He is there to say, remember what Jesus endured. Remember what he told you. And remember what he promised. We need the Spirit to remind us of Jesus' work. So the, the Spirit is a, a help in the midst of hatred. And the Spirit brings the truth of Jesus to the world. Look again at verse 8. <clears throat> when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. To convict, to lay bare, to reveal, to expose, uh, to to bring guilt, right? To take what is hidden, what we want to hide, and bring it out into the light. That's what Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come to do to the world. And if you think about it, that's really what Jesus has been doing for his whole ministry. That's why the world hates Jesus. Because when Jesus come and he comes and he talks to us, he doesn't leave us anywhere to hide, right? He exposes our sin. He expo his, his great goodness expo exposes our badness. So really the Spirit's just doing what Jesus has already been doing. The Spirit picks up where Jesus leaves off. So he convicts the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me. The crucial sin, in fact, the only sin that cannot be forgiven is failing to believe in Jesus. If you do not 
believe in Jesus. John 3.16. God loves the world in this way that he sent his only son, his one and only son, so that whoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. And so if you don't believe in Jesus, you will perish. That's Jesus' message. That's the Holy Spirit's message. It's the message of Christian witness that when it comes to sin, the, the worst thing you can do is reject Jesus. Trust in Jesus and sin is forgiven. Reject Jesus and you remain in sin. And so because the world fails to trust in who Jesus is, it remains in its sin. Concerning righteousness, verse 10. Concerning righteousness, uh, Jesus will convict, the, excuse me, when the Spirit comes, He will convict the world concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Righteousness is the opposite of sin. Jesus' righteousness is revealed when He goes back to the Father, His return to the Father. How? Because in receiving Jesus back, the Father is saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. The Father is putting His stamp of approval on what Jesus has done. Jesus reveals true righteousness. But the world condemns Jesus as a heretic. The world does not believe that Jesus is righteous. Particularly the unbelieving Jewish leaders. They did not understand true righteousness. Right? For them, righteousness was a matter of externals. External religion. Do this, don't do that, you're righteous. Jesus comes along in Matthew 5 and says, Your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Why? Because their righteousness is a sham. Their righteousness is not driven by the heart. Yeah, they've never killed anybody, but they've called people idiot a whole lot. And that's breaking the law. Their righteousness is a sham. It's only external, whereas Jesus reveals true heart righteousness. And Jesus says the same thing to us. Like plenty of people claim to be righteous. Plenty of people claim to look good. But Jesus exposes that and he reveals just how far short our righteousness falls. And then concerning judgment in verse 11. Judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. We talked about this in Sunday school. To judge is to make a decision. That's what a judge does. A judge, especially in Jesus' day, there, weren't, there wasn't a jury and attorneys and all that kind of stuff. You basically brought your case to the judge. He heard both sides, and then he made a decision. He made a judgment, a judgment call. That's why we say that. And so Jesus says in John 7:24, "Don't judge by appearances, but make a right judgment." And what he's doing is he's calling out the faulty judgment of the world. He's saying, "Look, the world judges by appearances, especially you religious leaders. You're judging by what things look like on the surface. You're not making a right judgment." And so the world's judgment, particularly of Jesus, is faulty and wrong. The world does not understand truth because it judges Jesus wrongly. And at the center of that faulty judgment is the father of lies himself, the devil. But at the cross, Jesus will triumph over the devil. 
He will judge the ruler of this world. And so the Spirit convicts the world because of its judgment. Uh, convicts the world of its judgment because the ruler of this world stands judged. He's under condemnation. You remember the old fable about the emperor's new clothes? Right? The emperor wants a new wardrobe. He wants a new outfit. And he is, uh, he's, he's sold on a new outfit by some hucksters. Right? Um, they make him believe that what he's getting from them is invisible clothing. Right? And, and, uh, and he falls for it. And, and then he parades through the town uh, in all of his glory. He parades through the town showing off his new clothes. His subjects have a choice. They can either embrace the lie. Those do look like good clothes. Man, he looks really sharp like that. Or they can risk the emperor's wrath by exposing the shame and by saying the emperor has no clothes. The Holy Spirit convicts the judgment of the world by saying... The emperor has no clothes. And everybody who follows that emperor will also follow him to shame. And so these are three key areas that have to be addressed in your own heart. Have you been convicted of your sin? Do you believe Jesus is who he says he is? Have you been convicted of your sham righteousness? Is your judgment of Jesus faulty or true? Are you listening to the lie or believing the truth? The Holy Spirit has to speak into each one of those areas. And maybe to sum it all up, have you seen your total and complete need of Jesus? That's what the Holy Spirit comes to the world to do. It comes with the message of Jesus and says, you have to, you have, to have Him. And if you don't have Him, you're lost. That's how the Spirit of truth bears witness to the world. And then finally, the Spirit leads the church into the truth of Jesus. Look again at verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Again, Jesus doesn't unload everything on the disciples at this moment. He says that there's more. There's more to learn. And so there's more to know. You can't bear them now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. The Spirit of truth. His mission and identity are defined by truth. He will come and guide you into all the truth. What does that mean? How will He do this? He does it by speaking what He hears from the Father and the Son. Right? Jesus says He doesn't come on His own authority. He's not coming to build a new, different religion apart from Me. He's not an independent operator. All he does is convey what I've already said to you. He takes what is mine and brings it to you. He doesn't come with a different message from Jesus. He doesn't come from a different message than Jesus himself. And that error can be seen in Islam. That error can be seen in Mormonism and all hosts of other religions that basically look at the New Testament and say, yeah, that's a good starting place. But you need more. There's this other book you need in order to really help you understand that book. I've got a, I've got a new revelation from the Holy Spirit. 
yeah, he, he talked to me out in the desert, and I wrote down these plates of gold, and nobody else was there, but this is really the true truth that helps you understand everything else. Jesus says, no, that's not what the Holy Spirit comes to do. In fact, isn't it interesting that the rest of the New Testament, written by a host of different men, all say basically the same thing. Their message is Christ and Him crucified. Every single one points back to Jesus and His person and His work. It doesn't add to it. It doesn't say there's more to it. It says that all you need to know about the Christian life, how to live it, how to do it, is actually rooted and found in Christ and Him crucified. That's where the Spirit points us. And then he says, so he told them already that he would remind them of what he had already spoken. The Spirit would remind them of what Jesus had already said. And that he will speak of things to come. What does he mean? What is the product of those promises? You hold it in your hands. See, what Jesus is saying, he's saying primarily to these first disciples. These promises are primarily for the first apostles. They're the ones who've been with him from the beginning. They're the ones who are sorrowful because he's about to leave. And so what he says, he directs first and foremost to them. They will remember what he said, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'll tell you about things to come, Acts through Revelation. So through the power of the Holy Spirit, all of those men wrote this. And so this is what the Spirit does. And that means then that the promises first delivered to the apostles then have meaning for us as well. Because you hold the fruit of their ministry in your hands. And you carry the same word of God in the power of God to the world, just like they did. And so even though Jesus is talking primarily to them, that promise has benefits for you if you are a believer in Christ. What does all of this mean for us? Jesus says in verse 14, The Holy Spirit will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What the Holy Spirit does is he comes and he opens up the treasure house, right? The storehouse of God that's available to us in Jesus. And he makes it available, right? He, he, he brings it. He mediates the truth of Jesus to the rest of it. He takes what the Father has given to Jesus, what Jesus has won by his cross, by his empty tomb, and he gives it to us. And so if, if you would know the riches of God, if, if you stand outside of Jesus this morning and you say, I want to know God, you must know Jesus. And you must know Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you would know God, if you would know all of His riches that He has made available to us in Christ, then I would say, come to Christ, trust in Him, believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved and receive the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if we are honest, 
we really underestimate the treasure, the fullness of the blessing that is available to us in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have the promise that you still speak. That even though, even though all of these other voices clamor against us, clamor against the church, clamor against your people, even though the opposition looks intimidating and frightening, there is a helper who comes alongside and who speaks the truth that overcomes the terrible lie. And so our opposition... They are not giants, but they are small and pitiful compared to the vastness and glory and beauty and majesty of your truth. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking, for speaking in the Word, for speaking through the ministry of the apostles and in the ministry of all those who would follow them, that we are not left without a witness. In fact, we have one who bears witness in us so that we may bear witness to the world. Holy Spirit, do your work. Convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment and guide us into all truth. We pray to pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.